Peace and welcome to Stand, the podcast that harnesses the culturally familiar from movies, TV shows, books, and music to discuss controversial subjects and plow up truth. I'm your host, Farmer Courtney, and welcome to Episode 5, The Great Debaters. My introduction to the Nation of Islam was via a recording of a debate, and before that moment in time, I had not given the discipline much thought. I attended a very well-funded high school on Long Island in a town called Northport, New York, and I'm certain that they must have had classes on what was meant to lay the foundation for such an academic skill set, but due to the complete lack of true and transformative mental health care for teens in America, I did not wind up tapping into the depth of all that my school had to offer. But I scratched the surface in my own way. I wound up taking classes on childcare, auto mechanics, and cooking. They were the highlight of my school experiences. There was an actual nursery program in the childcare classroom, so our teacher was their main teacher, and we would cycle through as her helpers for each period. It wasn't a full-time, five-day-a-week class, but it was real-life children in the classroom. (laughs) I really enjoyed that class and I learned how to change oil and spark plugs in the auto mechanics thing which my father was an old car guy so I grew up with a 59 Corvette parked in our basement garage that he had restored from mint condition and we went to a lot of old car shows in my youth and that class it did help me greatly when I was traveling across the country in old vans. But by and large, I felt that the opportunity to cook would be the most valuable. And as fun as cooking was for me in my own life, I had issues in that class because the teacher required you to eat the food that you cooked for a passing grade. She watched us like a hawk and it quickly became an issue that I was a vegetarian and that I was striving towards being vegan. This was back in 1992. So it wasn't just me making a a declaration saying no to her it was also that she thought it was an extremely dangerous and ignorant thing to do and she just didn't like any part of it it all came to a head one day when we were told that we would be making toad in a hole which if you don't know what that is it's sausage cooked with a biscuit topping (laughs) so I had skills in the kitchen and my more compliant friends valued me in their kitchen quadrant we had each you know there were four kitchens and so I was in this one with other people who had skills so they were busy hatching a plan for me to just you know scrape the bit of the biscuit off the top of the dish be seen eating don't fail the unit right (laughs) and they just wanted to get through and move on and not draw attention to themselves Uh, one of the main people on my team was a boy who grew to be a man who's actually a chef so it was important to him not to fail and not to cause a scene (laughs) so he was like just let me cook the sausage you make the batter deal all right I'll try that but then all hell broke loose when she gave out the recipe and the instructions All baked goods have some form of fat in the chemistry of the recipe. That's just how it goes. So the biscuits, in this case, the biscuit topping, didn't have oil as an ingredient, didn't have shortening, butter wasn't listed. The fat in the recipe was to be the grease that we drained off from 
cooking our sausages. We had to cook the sausages and then set it aside while we quickly mixed our batter. We were then to drain the fat off of the sausage pan and put it in our batter mix. The final assembly being on the bottom of the baking dish, sausages, biscuit on top, and then bake it, voila, towed in a hole, right? Well, there was nothing to be done, right? My friend's plan would not work. There was going to be a showdown of some sorts. My home economics teacher, I should add, was also the mother of six, her oldest being in our class at the time, and she simply did not deal with noncompliance from children. I was 15 and very much a child to her, right? So she called me out for not eating it while we all gathered at the table setting to eat the food that was part of the class. I refused. She pointed out that the class I was in was called Introduction to European Cooking. And she asked what I expected it to be about. This was a fair question. In all honesty, I had not thought about it. She had a point. I was ignorant about European cuisine. (laughs) So I had grown up with PBS and Julia Child's shows playing My mother and all of her sister's favorite programs, they were on PBS, most of them out of the BBC. Masterpiece Theater, you know, was everyone's favorite program. Still remember the, you know, the sound of the the introduction music brings back all these memories. And in all those hours, and I mean hours and hours of watching the projection of English, English culture that had been so captivating you know, their accents and their costumes. I had never pondered their diet. I didn't really think about it. I didn't put two and two together. And so I made the case that I didn't realize when I signed up for the class that the cooking and learning equaled that I would have to eat things against my will because I just felt like they were two separate things altogether. You can know how to cook all manner of things. It doesn't mean you have to consume them. And she informed me that that was unacceptable, that I'd fail. She gave me an ultimatum one more time to try it. And when I refused to eat it, she sent me to the office, right? There were too many people observing the conversations. All focus was on me in this exchange. She couldn't have the mutiny and leave, right? Up until that incident, I was unaware that our school had an ombudsman. My guidance counselor explained, and then Webster's can expound for us, that an ombudsman is a person who helps settle complaints, whether it's an individual, an organization, a business, and in this case, a school, a student between student and teachers. I was determined to resolve this somehow, you know, and I needed help from an expert negotiator because it seemed like a... A pretty lame equation that you could be forced to eat things that you didn't want to eat. (laughs) So he listened to me. And I think that he may have even sympathized with me on some degree because he was a tall, trim man with tiny glasses, academic, studious type vibe, you know, corduroy pants, uh, cardigan sweater, button down flannel, like that whole (laughs) whole vibe. And somehow he seemed like he knew that refusing to eat sausage grease was a reasonable thing to avoid eating even in 1992. So the next thing, to my surprise, I heard back from him was that I would be allowed to participate in class again and that I had the right to 
not eat the foods that I chose to not eat and I could taste what I wanted. This teacher was never kind to me again and that's not saying much because she was not a warm person anyway. She was all about her business. But she had her hands full with the rest of the crazies in the class and she just checked me off the list of people that were a bother to her, right? At least I could cook efficiently and I could be fully trusted with a knife and I knew how to stay on task and we didn't burn the food or have any problems. We could function. I was grateful for the cover that the chaos from the other members of the class provided. (laughs) And so as this story illustrates and me sharing my path of study, as I've stated before, I'm not an academic, right? Like I have no degrees or diplomas, but I do love to learn. And I just wasn't able to find a lane within the mainstream educational offerings and institutions of my day. But so on that night when I watched the fiery back and forth between Dr. Khalid Mohammed and Anthony Hilder, it not only opened my mind to a whole new way of thinking, but it set the standard of how to argue your point so skillfully that the other side just has to sit down or, as the case may be, move to your side of the podium. This actually happened in one of my favorite DVDs. And I foolishly lent it out and never got it back. So unfortunately, I don't have a title to share with you. But if you know this title, leave me a comment and, you know, send me a DM. Enlighten me if you know what I'm about to describe. So this was a debate between Dr. Khalid Mohammed and three Caucasian college students. I don't know whose idea it was to set that up, but I thank Allah for them. These three college students were so out of their league. And at one point, the girl is in tears. The one kid is in sort of an intellectual shock, you know, feeling who set this up? Why are we even here? Kind of deer in the headlights vibe. And then ultimately, the other kid, after a comment from Dr. Khalid, just up and moved his chair to the other side. He knew the debate was over. He knew Dr. Khalid had won by a landslide. And he moved over to his way of thinking, right? I sometimes wonder how that event may have affected either their inner lives or academic lives. I don't know. All that to say is I'd love to know what the title of that is. I'll do my best to investigate and update if I can put my finger on the title. (laughs) My apologies. All that to say. The Great Debaters is a movie as well, right? And so it brought back the power of those first debates to me and it reminded me of the teachings. If you're not familiar with the movie, The Great Debaters is a movie based on the true story and I'm sure some of the details are bastardized to make it more suited for the appetites in Hollywood and more in alignment with their objectives of corrupting almost everyone who ever sits and watches a whole, you know, Hollywood movie. But all that to say, it still stands as an excellent movie. Nevertheless, we can settle on the best part. The Great Debaters is a drama based on the true story of Melvin B. Tolson, who is a professor at Wiley College in Texas, takes place in 1935. He inspired students to form the school's first debate team. The team went on to challenge Harvard in the national championships. I won't get into the details and give any spoilers because I want to get back to reality and build more about another master great debater. And in the past, 
me just preface this by saying I foolishly and erroneously have attempted in a very poor manner to express my gratitude for the transformational effect that the work of Dr. Wesley Muhammad has had on my thinking. And I'm deeply sorry that in the past that I had chose to tap sarcasm impulsively to express something that was so important. And I pray I do a better job here. So we heat our home with wood. And keeping the fire fed and catching the fire each morning are a big part of each day in the winter. And winter lately seems to last for about seven months of the year. And since a recent falling away that has occurred in my life, I am getting to know a new stove. I don't know it well, so it gives me ample opportunity to study the different combinations of things that successfully catch the embers each morning. There are many factors that go into having a good relationship with your wood stove. You might not think about it, (laughs) but it's true. You need quality, well-cured wood. They need to be the right size. They need to be the right shape, the right density, the right type of wood. You also need to make sure you know how to use the various flues. These are levers that allow the fire a greater or lesser flow of oxygen at key times. You also need to have tight gaskets, which are things that can either be made of woven fiberglass or uh, woven metal that sit in gaps, in places. So you need to have these tight gaskets in place so that airflow is not allowed in in these little gaps. It creates an imbalance and things will burn too hot if you don't have the right type of tight gasket in place in the in the little nooks and crannies of your wood stove. So you have to learn and study how each individual stove works, you know, how much wood can it hold before it becomes, sometimes they can become hot and stovepipes glow dangerously if you get overzealous. Um, sometimes you go too long before you feed the fire again and the embers become too weak to catch that new log that you put on there. And most importantly, a wise keeper of a wood stove always has a stash of kindling that's dry and small and split well and newspapers or some type of paper dryer lint at the ready. Anytime that you've miscalculated about what's going on with your stove, you can, you know, start that right over again. (laughs) You can kickstart it. I've described the teachings of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad like a seed that took root in my mind, but they have often been like a strong, ever-burning ember. And initially, when I first heard the teachings, it burned brightly within me and I wanted to learn more. But I lived in a rural suburb in the Catskill Mountains. There was next to no one to ask. And the few people that I did ask were kind of annoyed with me for screwing up their gig, right? Like they were living well among the musical society, right? In in Woodstock, that little subculture. And me bringing up the teachings of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad really didn't fit with the program. And I was you know, shut down by them too, which which was 
just such a stumping experience for me. I just thought, what is up with that? I just really didn't realize. I didn't know what I didn't know. So we had to go to a city, right? (laughs) Albany was not far. So we would drive and go and visit the gods up there. We went to bookshops. So we were able to purchase books. We were able to borrow materials from our friends. And looking back, those moments in time were like getting a literal truckload of well-cured firewood. I wasn't prepared or expecting that there would be people in my life who didn't see this as a good thing, right? So who out of fear or superiority complexes or deep inner cellular subconscious activity that they're not even aware of, but that they would try to douse that ember and attempt to extinguish it. And so there have been seasons where I had so little capacity to feed that ember that it just burned within and generated no outwardly detectable heat. This often happens in the morning at our wood stove. There are embers, but the place is freezing. You would never even know the heat was on, but they're there. That's how it was for me. The teachings were still present within me. And whenever I did feed that ember with the right fuel, it would ignite. But there was a long stretch of time that I didn't have an understanding of what type of fuel I required and needed to get a really visible blaze going and sustain it. But thankfully, after a visit from that first God who ever built with me, when I expressed the sum total of my frustration to him about how my studies were going and how I didn't think that I would ever land upon having the skill set necessary to defend the teachings or to be of any use to anybody talking about this, he just looked at me with that smile that he frequently would give me mockingly or what felt like mocking me, teasing me, you know, that I just didn't view myself properly. That was basically what I can see from it, that he he didn't really know um, the inner battle that I was dealing with and a lot of the things. And he saw me one way and I did not see myself in any level of what he saw. So he looked at me and he said, look up Dr. Wesley Muhammad on YouTube and find the lecture Did Elijah Muhammad teach shirk or true Islam? You'll be all right. Watch it. Matter of fact, watch it several times. Tell me what you think. I'll build with you next time. I used to have a lot of random and severe back pain issues. They were like episodes. I'd be fine and then bam, right? (laughs) So until I figured out the root cause and learned what changes I needed to make to get out of that cycle, I would get struck by them without warning, kind of frequently. And on that day, I knew my back was starting to go out early in the morning, but nothing could be done. (laughs) I was determined to participate in the visit, and I knew that I would be in bed early that afternoon into the night. And sure enough, providing hospitality during that visit set me over the edge. So after they left, I slowly made my way up the spiral staircase step by step. And I requested that the laptop and the acupressure mat be brought up and then I miserably climbed into bed. The pain that day was severe and I spent the rest of the afternoon and early part of the night going in and out of sleep while attempting to watch that lecture. 
each time I woke up, I realized that it ended and I attempted to start it again where I, you know, dropped out and tried to watch it again. I was very much determined. I had an assignment finally, right? It had been years <laughs> without a clear directive. Back pain or no back pain, if he told me that this lecture was going to be the thing that finally set years of confusion straight, I was going to get through it one way or the other. Didn't matter how long it took. And he was right. It did. It was the key to me understanding why and how I'd been so ineffective and confused about how to express what was on my heart for the teachings, why they were received the way that they were by the different people that I would talk to, and how to have a different view. It also would have been a good moment for him to clarify the title for me. I had heard of the God True Islam before, my educator or enlightener, whatever you want to call him, was scholarly. And so he had mentioned the name many times. That was the academic scholarship standard, the golden standard in the 5% nation in the time when he was coming up was True Islam. That was the reference, right? (laughs) So I didn't realize that in that moment of receiving the assignment that not only was I watching Dr. Wesley Muhammad deliver this lecture called Did Elijah Muhammad Teach Shirk or True Islam, I was in fact also simultaneously in the classroom of the legendary God True Islam for the first time. This brings us to my book recommendation for the show. The Book of God, an Encyclopedia of Proof that the Black Man is God by Dr. Wesley Muhammad. Ironically, I had the Book of God, an Encyclopedia of Proof that the Black Man is God, on my shelf for years, but no author was listed. Admittedly, the 17 pages of footnotes should have clued me in, but I think it's because my copy from 2002 with its spiral binding and its yellow pages is a bootleg copy. But whatever the reason is, there was no author visibly printed on the cover or within its pages. And after learning that Dr. Wesley Muhammad and True Islam are in fact the same God, I have since corrected the matter and written it on the cover of my copy. (laughs) The book has recently been re-released and I encourage you to get yourself a copy and keep it in your ever-growing reference library. And speaking of libraries, that brings us to our children's book recommendation. The Extraordinary Education of Nicholas Benedict by Trenton Lee Stewart is a story that I'd just like to highlight today. It's a part of the Mysterious Benedict Society and that's a book series that we have enjoyed But in many ways, my favorite book out of the whole series is this one because it goes back to the root and it tells the story of the foundational life and educational experiences of Mr. Nicholas Benedict. It shows the difference that access to a library can make in one's life in the midst of challenging personal circumstances that would crush most people. It's full of trials and tribulations of a young man with a way above average intelligence who is able to methodically solve a mystery, connect dots in a way that makes a true impact on the lives of people around him, and 
It's all thanks to the sanctuary that he's able to find in a library at a key point in his development. Our homeopathic remedy for today, speaking of sciatic pain and sciatica, that's what I used to deal with. Back pain can be life-altering because it greatly impacts your ability to function, to stand up, to sit down, to walk. There's several factors to consider when you have a crippling inflammation cycle going on like that. And it's really beyond the scope of the show to get into it. But the cliff notes are diet, right? So the types of food you consume, keeping a keen eye on possible food intolerances. That can be a big part of the pain equation. Temperature of foods and snacks, I learned that that makes a really big difference. Did not know that ice cold can be a trigger. Completely changed my life when I realized that. And of course, pain management. So in our culture where there's a pill for every ill, right? Like we are often just conditioned to do dangerous levels of over-the-counter pain medication to manage that type of pain. And that is a choice, right? But it also has other consequences to making that type of choice. So it's great to have options, right? (laughs) Absolutely always essential to have options. And so Hypericum is a homeopathic remedy that is wonderful for any type of pain that is electric in nature and overtakes your whole being like sciatica tends to or also like a toothache tends to. Any nerve-rich area that is in pain, screaming at you, hampering your ability to function, think of a high paragon, right? And now to the anointing. I bear witness that high-grade essential oils have greatly aided me in my studies and communication in general. The most fitting oil to highlight for today's episode is frankincense oil. At close to $100 a bottle, I'm grateful for the power that's in even one drop of this precious oil. But I have a funny story of how you can see it in action. When people ask me to come, you know, on their page for a live or to do an interview, I get nervous. I'm not used to talking to people in an exchange, right? So I make the content that I make and it's challenging enough for me to do that and it's one-sided. So add another person to it that's live and I'm quickly at my threshold, right? And then when someone in the Nation of Islam asked me to do an interview, I'm even more of a wreck. One day, I was a wreck preparing to go live with the Savers Helper channel on YouTube. I was bumbling about my desk, you know, watching the clock tick down. And my, what I thought was, you know, small and measured activity It caused a vibration on my old printer shelf that held my full lineup of essential oils. I wound up breaking a bottle of my high-grade frankincense oil right before this interview. It crashed down onto the concrete floor of the farmhouse, but in remarkably few pieces. Looking down at dismay, I did the only thing I could think of. I carefully removed the bits of glass There actually weren't many. And then I took off my shoes and my socks and I began anointing myself like I have never permitted myself to anoint my body before or since. I coated my feet, my head, my neck, my hair, my scarf, my wool dress, my hat, 
naturally my hands were beyond covered and saturated and then just minutes later it was showtime looking back on that day I can honestly say that that was the best and most complete communication I have ever been afforded the opportunity to be a conduit for I should note that above that printer shelf of oils hangs the pictures of Master Farah Muhammad, the Most Honorable Elijah Muhammad, the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan, and a small pin that has Dr. Khalid's face on it. A few weeks later, in study group, Minister Abdul Hakim said to me, Courtney, I saw an interview of yours. Stunned. I didn't know how to respond. I think I said something like, oh, is that right, sir? And he replied with, yes, you certainly knew what you were talking about. I just nodded and smiled like a goof. Like I just didn't know how to respond because I was full of this story. And it would have been ever so inappropriate to share this lengthy type of a story and conversation within the setting of greeting everyone for study group that day. So I goofed in this response and I, <laughs> I, but I didn't share about this divine anointing of how, you know, that wasn't me necessarily. I mean, it was me, but it wasn't me, right? Like there was an entire bottle of frankincense in the equation, sir. It's doubtful that I would have found the words to fill three plus hours with natural conversation. But I never shared the story, so I share it here with you today. And lastly, our song. Reflecting and thinking about formative years, like learning how to change the oil in a car and key experiences, I turned my mind back to Yusuf Cat Stevens's song, On the Road to Find Out. Thank you for listening. I appreciate you spending time with me here today. And if the information on pain management and homeopathy sounded like something that could be useful to you, I invite you to head over to my website, farmercourtney.com and access my free course called Show Me Homeopathy and you can learn more and get started learning the foundational basics of how to make use of homeopathy in your life today. Until next time, I'm Farmer Courtney. Peace.